Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon. This is episode number 227. And today on the show, we're setting the stage for the next few months as Dan, Spencer, Berter, and myself break down our plans and goals and hopes and hit lists for the 2018 hunting season. And big thank you to Lacrosse Boots for the support of this episode of the podcast. As I've mentioned before, I've been wearing lacrosse boots for 15, almost 20 years now for all my whitetail hunting. And this year, I'm wearing the new pair of Alpha Burley Pros. And I just got these in the mail recently. I'm looking at them right now, holding them actually. And and I decided to kind of go throwback with it this year. You know, over the past few years, I've been wearing the camouflage versions. But this one, I've got the old green and yellow lacrosse boot. And there's something about that classic look. That was the very first pair I ever saw when my uncle first got lacrosse. He had the green and yellow boots. Now I've got those two. It's kind of cool how it's coming full circle. As I've mentioned, these boots are ultra comfortable. They work great from early season all the way through the late. I'm going to be wearing these for Montana whitetail hunting in September. I will be wearing them in Minnesota in the Boundary Waters. I will be wearing them here in Michigan in late December. They're waterproof. They keep you warm. They're about as scent-free as you can get, and they work just great for a lot of whitetail applications. So if you're interested in learning more about lacrosse boots for yourself, you can visit lacrossefootwear.com. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Onyx. And today in the show, I got to say, we have got an all-star cast for you. We have here... On one side of the ring, the nine-fingered wonder from another mother, Dan Johnson. On the other side, we've got the one and only Furter Hilliard, regional director for the QDMA. And then the fourth man in this four-way is the bearded baritone from South Dakota, Spencer Newharth. Uh, so we got a crowded house here today. But uh, with hunting season just a few weeks, weeks away for all of us, I think, or most of us at least, I figured we had to get back to doing our annual goals, hopes, and hit lists podcast, uh, you know, where, you know, Dan, you remember doing these probably, I think we did our first three years, maybe missed it last year. Does that sound right? Do you remember? Oh, these? man, we've, we've done it every single year. Okay. So yeah, maybe we did every, it every single, single year. year. Basically what I want to do is we're going to talk through, you know, what our plans are for the year, uh, what our hopes and goals are for the year, talk through if there's any like specific deer we're after or any specific things we're trying to achieve, kind of set the stage. Um, because, you know, each year you get to follow along with what I'm doing and what Dan's doing and, you know, Josh and Spencer, you guys are more and more involved. So I want to kind of share what all of us are up to, what we've got coming down the road. Um, and then, you know, two months from now, three months from now, when we're talking in November or December, everyone can laugh at us when they hear how widely or how wildly we failed in achieving all these goals. Um, so that's what I figured we could do. And, uh, I don't know, Dan, are you up for that? I'm always up for it, Mark. I, that's what I like about you. <laughs> so I want to I wanna talk to you real quick, Dan, because a few weeks ago, like a month ago or so, 
you had we kind of did like a little bit of a preview to this kind of thing because you had gone out and you put your trail cameras out for the first time and I kind of bugged you a little bit about what your goals were what you might be after and you said that this year you were going to be after two bucks I think if I remember right you talked there's like two deer you really wanted to possibly like focus on this year one of them was this deer you called dork um I saw number one you've checked your summer trail cameras number two as I am every year I don't like you very much because how great those trail camera poles were and uh <laughs> and number three i did see the dorks back so uh can you fill us in on how the rest of the poll went and uh what you learned about uh that old buck yeah i mean i tell you what um in regards to that specific buck i got daylight pictures of him which is which never happens uh the very first ever picture i had of him which i'm expecting I was expecting him to be a three-year-old in that picture was a daylight picture. Um, and this last card pull, which was what now going on two weeks or a week and a half ago, um, I ended up, uh, getting more daylight pictures of him. However, you know, that transition hits, they come out of velvet and he, I, I catch him on a different part of the the area in a different farm that I can hunt. And, uh, it's just one of those things, man, where he goes nocturnal and he only visits the areas that, um, I hunt or at least through trail cameras, uh, as, uh, when it's, uh, not when it's nighttime. So it's very difficult for me to get him pegged down. It's almost like I need about 50 more trail cameras to just code, you know, make these giant impassable, nets that he has to walk through and i i'll get pictures of him but until i do that it's uh one of those games that i just don't think he's killable on the properties that i hunt what was his activity on the pictures this year in daylight was that on par with past years or was this like the first time he's been daylight since that very first year yeah very uh first time daylight period so he or, or, or i mean Aside from the first year, yeah. right? So, um, so between two thousand and what thirteen to to, to two thousand and eighteen, now uh, I have two sets of daylight pictures of him, and that's it. Wow! So my farm is not his core area, right? Now in the summer, though, is it a lot of pictures in the summer? Like, is it his core summer area? I, I wouldn't say it's his core summer area. He comes through on maybe a once every three w- week rotation. Gotcha. So take that with a grain of salt. Okay. So if this year you are sitting in one of your stands in November and Dork comes walking by, but then right behind him is, you know, cause, cause Dork's a big bodied old buck, but it, he, you know, not a whole lot as far as his antlers. Yeah. Um, so if Dork's in front of you, but then like a Boone and Crockett four-year-old comes walking behind him <laughs> and they're both standing right in front of you, do you shoot like the nine-year-old Dork or do you shoot the four-year-old bigger racked buck? If I knew I wasn't going to get busted and, and I had the wind, I'd probably – dude, I I hate questions like this because <laughs> – the you know if I say oh I'm gonna shoot the older buck there's a group of people that are like oh that's bullshit he don't he you know he says that now but you know the big buck he'll you know he'll go after the bigger score but if I had if I had to choose between them I would say I would shoot the nine year old or the eight year old you know what I mean so I dude he's like three hundred pounds he, he's got he's massive he's only gonna score like one forty maybe 
but he's got really big, thick brow tines. He's got masks all the way out to his tips, and he's. you just look at a picture of him, and you think of a pit bull. And now it's to the point where I bet you, I bet you he's still 300, 300 pounds, but his back end is starting to shrink a little bit. You'll get that with these older bucks where he starts to look like a triangle. The front end is so thick uh, and it just kind of tapers off because they, their hips start to sink in. Their gut comes way up into their, uh, into their chest and, uh, or into their back, their back quarter. And it just looks like a pit bull. And, uh, I, I don't know, man, that to me is just as impressive as a, uh, a booner on your wall. Yeah. That, that would be pretty awesome to get a chance to buck like that. I, I can't even imagine seeing a nine-year-old buck in, yeah. in Michigan. That's like the equivalent of like a two-year-old around here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's an old one. <laughs> so check this out though. I have, I found a parish, a matching set of sheds in uh, about, I think it was one point from a straight line from where I found the sheds to where I got this trail camera picture, 1.5 miles away. And I'm not joking. I think I have another eight or nine year old buck to a pair of, um, an 11 point buck, um, that I found, uh, a matching set to in 2013, who was on my trail camera this year. Hold on. So you're saying you have a match set of antlers from 2013 Yep. that you think belong to a deer you have on camera this year? Absolutely. Yep. yep. Wow. And he is a big bodied, mature looking, big head, big front end, uh, you know, kind of that pit bull look again. And he's another 300 pound buck that would probably score. I mean, he's, he's got 11 scorable points, maybe put him in the 145, low, low, low 150s, but he's just an old buck. And you can tell by their coat and by their face and by their head that he is, he's, he's it. I mean, that would be another buck that I would love to harvest, but this is the first year I've ever got trail camera pictures of him. So, Have you, you know, seen uh, him? uh, nope, never seen him, man. So, so what about the rest of your camera pull? Any other shooters? Oh yeah. I mean, I got, I got a handful of, uh, four-year-olds, five-year-olds, you know, up until these guys at the higher age range. But, uh, you know, it's over the years, I used to get really excited this time of year. Obviously the trail camera pictures are awesome to look at, but as we all know, getting trail camera pictures is the easy part. And, I have two big things at play here. One is the September shift and the other is the harvest, right? So when the, the crop harvest, when, yep, the crop harvest. Yeah, okay. So when the, you know, the, the velvet comes off, they all start jockeying for position. There's a displacement, you know, the mature bucks all plant a stake in the ground and say, this is mine. You know, they fight and then they, uh, they all spread, spread out. Then the c- crops come out. So any deer that are living in these crop fields or buffer strips, uh, they get displaced, uh, displaced as well. And then, uh, I really don't know, uh, what bucks are consistent in that area until, uh, I'm going to say mid October. Those are the ones that end up sticking around for the rut. Yep. You're saying, yep, yep, absolutely. Yeah. What percentage do you feel like? of summer bucks end up sticking around during fall for you on that farm? 
Um, I'm going to say probably 25%. That's it? That's it. Wow. There's, I mean, I am in a spot where, I mean, I've sent you the trail camera pictures of all these all these deer, they, they just feel very comfortable in the summertime, yeah. uh, hanging around this area. There's water, there's food, there's cover. Uh, and a lot of it has to do with the standing corn. And then the second that goes away, it's just, it's a different landscape. Yeah. And man, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> it makes, like you said, those summer trail camera pictures. I'm kind of like you, I used to get so, so excited about them. And now I just give less and less credence to yeah. them because so many are gone during the season. I find for me, it's more like 60, 40, uh, right. maybe 50, 50 on most of the spots I hunt. Um, further, what do you think about our Ohio property? I feel like down there, it was, it was more towards what Dan said. We would always get way more summer pictures. Like there'd maybe be one or two, like we might get like five or six mature bucks on camera during the summer or seven, but then like two to three, maybe stick around for the season. Does that sound about right? Yeah, that sounds about right. We'd get we'd get our hopes up a couple big ones down there, and then we'd we'd maybe see one of those kind of hanging out throughout the year, um, and then we might get another one rolling. You know, they might roll back through in November, or maybe the late season or something. But that that farm never really held many bucks. You know, there's no. just more of a pass through farm. Yeah, yeah. Dan, do you remember the buck? Um... It would have been probably the year that you and me did our trail camera picture contest in the summer. Yep. And I got that buck that I called Junkyard. Do you remember him? He had like triple brow tines on each side. Yeah. Crazy junk. Um, Well, I ended up uh, through Instagram, someone recognized pictures of some of the deer that I was posting and said, hey, I hunt near there. And we ended up chatting and he ended up knowing that that buck junkyard actually got hit crossing the road and was oh, killed man. by a car. Yeah. So it's cool to know the story of that though. You know what I mean? Like a, yeah. a deer disappears and never comes back and you're like, man, I wonder whatever happened to that. Yeah. It was nice to get that uh, kind of confirmation of what happened. And then there was another one we were calling the beast. It was, I don't know. You might not remember that one, but it was the same year, I think, but just like super tall, just really, really tall, impressive buck. Um, and he got killed by another hunter like a mile away. So it was kind of nice just to hear what happened to some of these deer. Unfortunately, most everything I heard was like, oh, yeah, that one got killed here. That one got killed by this guy. This one got hit by a car. I killed that one. Um, so everyone else did a lot more killing than me and Josh. But <laughs> Yeah. And I tell you, though. Hey, we did, we did all right down there. We did. Yeah, we did. <laughs> and I'll, I'll tell you this, though. Um, I am really excited about one particular buck. I sent you his pictures uh, via the phone, right? But uh, I had a I had a three-year-old. He could have been a four-year-old last year. I mean, I never really got decent pictures of him, but he's back this year, uh, and he blew up. And um, I'm excited to see if he sticks around on the shift because I can, I can see myself dedicating a season to wherever that buck's at. Describe that buck, and then why why would you dedicate the season to him? Because it's, I mean, it's a once in a lifetime deer. Just from a number one, he meets the age class that I'm after, and number two, from a antler size, it's a no brainer. I mean, deer like this don't come along very often. So I'm looking at a picture here. I'm pretty sure this is the buck you're talking about. But 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 describe this for everyone listening. Um, yeah. And so last I'll, year, and then I'll tell you yeah. how wrong you are. <laughs> so, so last year, um, 
he was a mainframe 10 with long brow tines. I'm probably going to put him as a 10. I'd probably put him in the 150s to low 160s as a 10. This year, he is all of that plus uh, about, I think I counted probably about uh, 10 extra points this year. I think I counted maybe 19 total scorable points. Um, his brow tines are a foot long. Uh, I mean, he's got he's got a palmated front end that has two drops off the front of it, and it's just it's a sick buck. That yeah, I get I get big deer on trail camera every single year, but not this big. And I don't know if I, it's just one of these things where I've been successful the last two years, and I I, I I'm okay where if if he is consistently on trail camera paying attention and putting effort into that particular deer yeah yeah i mean i I, i'm right there with you too obviously as people know i've i've been a sucker for trying to get after a specific buck but this deer i mean to your point he definitely qualifies as as unique i mean like you said he's got two drop tines off the left main beam and that left main beam is like a club and then it looks like he's got a sticker off his left side g2 in addition to those drops and on the right hand side main beam on his g2 i think i'm seeing like a triple split is that right uh yeah yep and then he's got a bunch of stickers on the bases and then like you said the brow tines are each like 12 inches straight up i mean it's a an insane looking deer yeah are people are other people aware of this deer dan Uh, you know um the crazy part about this is that this buck hangs out on I'm guessing a different property that nobody can hunt for a majority of the time, but only comes out, comes around every once in a while to a part of the farm that typically doesn't get any, um, doesn't get any action because of the road. It's near a house. Uh, and it's kind of in a, just an awkward place. It's just a, you know, it's one of those places, Spencer, where, people would probably walk by it and say, yeah, there's nothing in there just because of, uh, you know, of what they're seeing from the road. However, you take 10 steps inside of it and it's some of the thickest, nastiest shit on the entire property. So, I mean, it holds, it holds a good doe, doe group. So, you know, late October, uh, when I start checking my trail cameras, anything's possible, you know? No, you said you had pictures of him last year. Were any of those during the season? Was he a buck that stuck around for the season? Yes. Yep. He came through, he see right away October I had some early daylight uh, early like first of October I had some uh, early season picks of him I had him in a, a pinch point one of my favorite pinch points to hunt on the farm a couple times in mid October I'm talking like the 10th and 11th at day during daylight wow so um, if I get the opportunity to and the wind's right on those specific dates I might be hunting a big deer during the October lull uh, so we'll see. That's exciting. Although that doesn't exist. Right. The We'll call it the quote-unquote October lull. Yeah. Um, are you are you calling this deer anything? How do we know this deer when you talk about it? Or is it just that one big deer? Um, like, I think I'm going to call him Gnarly Charlie. <laughs> Gnarly Charlie. Gnarly Charlie, dude. And I got that idea off of a Scooby-Doo episode that I was watching the other day with my kids. 
Nice. What so. about uh, what about the other old ones? So we got Dork, we got Gnarly Charlie. What was the other one? Do you have anything uh, to call that anything? No, man. I, I didn't give him a name uh, because this is the first year of trail camera pictures other than the sheds that I found five years ago. So no name for him. Okay. If you'll, if you'll allow it, I'd like Spencer to name that buck. Will, okay. Would you allow that? <laughs> yeah. Spencer, <laughs> I will allow it, but you have to do it right now. Right now. Which, now. which one is this again? He's an 11. He's a six by f- six by five. Um, now I, I know in the past there was a buck named Mark Kenyon. Is that buck dead alive? What, what's his status? I'm going to have to go with dead. Dead. Okay, yeah. well, let's uh, make this one Mark Kenyon 2 then. Mark Kenyon 2? Mark Kenyon 2? Wow. Yeah, is that, does that work? No, it doesn't. Mark, <laughs> Mark Kenyon had his opportunity on my farm, okay? It's true. I, I do I have his sheds, which is pretty cool. Why don't I just name it Spencer? Oh, <laughs> yeah. That works too. I like that. <laughs> I, didn't, I know it's not your idea, but <laughs> further, further, I'll let you be the judge. What do you think? Well, I mean, Spencer's definitely better than Mark Kenyon, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, Dan's after the dork. He's after Gnarly Charlie, and he's after Spencer. Yep. That's good. I'm coming for you, Spencer. Uh, I'm flattered. I'm flattered. <laughs> <laughs> um. So you checked your cameras. Are you doing anything major between now and September before it's all said and done, Dan? Because I know you're like me. You usually stay out of there the month of September. Yeah. Um, so any final things you're taking care of these next, like, two weeks? Yeah, other than getting in shape, you know, continuing the prep for elk season. Uh, my whitetail, everything in the whitetail woods is pretty much set until I start hunting. Did you do any other stand work when you were checking those cameras the other day? Yeah, I set up uh, – I, I did some micromanagement to one of my favorite hunting locations, which was like uh, – it's where I I had an encounter with a big eight where my arrow hit the branch last year. So I moved that stand location 10 yards and then set up my stand and re, recut all my shooting lanes. Um, and that's the only stand I really have up right now. Uh, the rest will be set up uh, when I go in or sometime after my elk hunt. But there, those are like pinch point type hunts where it, I'm not going to be inter- interrupting any betting or anything real. If I if I can go in there and set it up on a north wind or a, a south wind, I'll be good to go, uh, and I'll I'll do that. But if it doesn't happen, I'll just set them set them up during the season. Yeah. Do you, do you ever go in and just like prep trees without hanging a stand, but like prep an area so that if you do want to hunt there, you know, like John Eber yeah. does this a lot. He just preps like 50 trees. He doesn't hang any stands, but he has a bunch like trimmed out. So if he wants to hunt there, he can just shimmy up in his saddle or something. You thought about doing that at all? Oh, I have. I've, I've done that in the past and uh, actually I did it last year as well. So, I mean, I have lots of trees prepped, ready to go for the upcoming season. It's just you know, I find myself never using those trees because I'm always micromanaging my stand locations, right? Like I did, uh, two weekends ago, right? I had an entire set cut out, but I had this feeling that I needed to be 10 yards on this other tree and that's what I did. So I recut everything and, uh, hopefully that's a better stand location than the, uh, than the the previous one. Yeah. Uh, Furter and Spencer, 
both of you guys have listened to many, possibly most of like our past episodes over the last like two, three, four years. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, probably. Okay. What is this? The Wired to Hunt podcast? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's <laughs> that's what this thing is. <laughs> um, okay. I so- did not. I did not listen to the one about raising outdoor kids. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually go in weekly to the podcast and write bad reviews, asking you guys to not talk about outdoor kids. <laughs> that's him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now we know who it is, Dan. Man, I hope I hope your wife gets pregnant. <laughs> okay so my question though for you two since you've listened to most of these episodes except for the kid related ones you've heard dan talk about his hunting seasons both what he's done leading up to them and what he's done during the season for now like three or four years so you've heard what he's been doing how he's been preparing for it all that kind of stuff um Last summer, we had a guy named Joe Elsinger on the podcast, and he was another guy who had listened to a lot of the past episodes, so he was really familiar with what me and Dan do, and he gave each of us like a piece of advice, or like, he kind of said, okay, based on what I know about how you've hunted in the past, this is the one thing I would recommend you think about this year, and I really like that. It's kind of interesting, because people that listen to me and Dan talk, you know, every week over the years, they kind of have this idea of what we're doing, and they've, they've kind of heard us talk through all these things, heard about our mistakes, blah, 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 blah. So I'm curious, for the two of you, based off what you know about Dan, what he's done in the past, and what he's told you so far right now about how he's preparing for this year, I'll start with you, Spencer. Do you have any one suggestion for Dan for this year, or piece of advice, or mistake he should avoid based on what you know about him and what he does? Um, I, I don't think I have anything like that. One thing I've never heard Dan talk about is... Um, I believe these properties you hunt are shared properties. And I guess I don't know what your relationship is with those other hunters. If you're aware of like what their standards are or uh, is that correct that you hunt some shared properties? Yeah. All the property that I uh, hunt is shared. With right. other so, yeah. Like, are, are you aware of what they're doing when they're doing it? Um, what they're after stuff like that? Yeah. I communicate with them before the season is, I mean, they take a week they have a week long vacation that they take, uh, and you know, they go after they're on the same property, the, you know, one of the weeks that I'm there as well. So I just try to stay away from them. Uh, we don't necessarily talk about strategy. Um, we talk about, um, we may talk about it after the season about what bucks are, are where and, um, but nothing like, if I was sharing a property with like one of my really good friends or uh, my brother or something like that, you know what I mean? We're not exchanging information if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. I was just curious what your relationship is with those guys. If you think that could be something that changes for you in the future, because I hunt shared properties as well. And uh, I guess my communication with those other hunters is even less than that almost. Um, You know, it's a, it can be a problem at times. Like we both show up there and then you look at each other and, uh, you know, have to make an awkward decision then. So, yeah. Um, yeah, man, I've, I've, I've been there. I mean, I've, uh, we've gotten to the point now where we kind of each have our own locations, uh, our own kind of areas. Um, they only overlap, overlap a little bit, but they're, they're less mobile than I am. And, uh, 
I'm, you know, I'm okay with where they hunt. I stay out of their areas. They stay out of mine. I'm that guy who likes to go in and deep and be mobile. And they're kind of, you know, Hey, let's wait for the last 30 minutes of light to, um, you know, they, they hunt closer to the field edges and all that stuff. So, uh, I don't know. It's like our, our strat we're, we're after the same deer because they have trail cameras out too. However, they, they hunt a different style than me. So we're not necessarily overlapping. The only, the only problem I ever can, I can ever see is maybe if I set up somewhere and they set up somewhere, not necessarily in the relative area, but either my scent stream is ruining where they're at or their scent stream is ruining where I'm at. The deer are coming through one of those scent streams to get to where they're set up. So, but you know, we're both friendly with each other. It's not like, uh, I don't know. It's not cutthroat. I'll put it that way. What about this situation though? Based on what you know about where this person hunts or these people typically hunt, would you like access a property or set up in a property or set up in a spot where you knew, well, yeah, when I head in to hunt this spot, I'm going to have to blow my wind right through where he typically is, but it's going to be good for me, but I know it's going to screw his stuff, his area up or something like that. Or would you say, I, I don't want to screw that up for him? Um, that's a great question because I'm typically the first one on the farm every morning. So I don't really have to deal with that. So you just don't even but, know. I, yeah, I just don't know. Uh, if they are there, um, I typically am not running through the same. Like, again, my tree stand locations are a little bit different than where their their tree stands are. And, um, I mean, if it came down to it and I was, let's say I had an encounter the past two days and I was making a big move to go in after a deer that I, I felt I had pegged, I mean – Man, I'm I'm gonna do what I gotta do. Would you? I mean, would you go into the area that he traditionally hunts? Um, maybe if you know if I knew he wasn't there, I flank. You know, I'm I flank these guys a lot too, right? So they they will they have their tree stand locations, and then if I see the deer working around their historic, you know, because they have ladder stands, they're there, right? And so I will move based off of maybe where they're at or set up where they're at. So I'm using them almost like a, a pinch point, right? So I know the deer are funneling around maybe the stand location. Uh, I might, I might set up downwind of them or even further downwind of them or, or, you know, kind of quartered away from them. So yeah, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go out there and hunt to my best ability and yes i'll probably be uh you know i'm not going to go in and purposely ruin any hunts but if i'm if i'm if i got a deer pegged i'm going to go in and i'm going to try to set up on that deer yeah yeah you got to do that yeah so you you talked about these 3 bucks that we've already talked about since we last chatted, I know you kind of expressed a little bit. You said you, this might be the kind of season where you focus on one deer or these three deer. How like where how has that evolved over the last month? Now that you got gnarly <laughs> Charlie, like how serious are you about that? Or is it going to be you're going to shoot four year old? Hey, I'm going to approach every season like I always do. This season like I always do, and that is check out the trail cameras 
when it, you know, like I'm going to get to the farm the first evening and I'm going to go check all my trail cameras, uh, the, the ones that won't be intrusive. I'm going to make a decision on what's showing up. And then from there, it's, uh, you start going in and you start putting the pieces of the puzzle together and you start collecting data. And if I see a deer showing up on trail camera, uh, say at nighttime, I'm going to bump in further down wherever, and maybe I can get eyes on him. Or maybe I can go in and set up another trail camera or, you know, oh, this big scrape opened up. Let's put a trail camera over it. Um, you know, there's a lot. I can't I can't say right now because September shift, the harvest and deer not showing up on trail camera. I mean, that's a big thing. So I have to use whatever I can to make moves. And if I'm not going to waste my time chasing a deer that, quote unquote, doesn't exist. Yeah. Josh. Do you have any suggestion, advice, uh, thing for Dan based on your historical knowledge of him? Because Dan has annual patterns, you know. He does an- he's does. he got annual patterns every year. If you check his trail cameras, he's doing the same thing, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so do you well, got anything for him, Fruits? He, he kind of answered one of my questions. I was going to ask him if he, you know, being on a property where he shares, does he ever use the other guys as, you know, to dictate what he's going to do? Um, so he kind of answered that. But then he's probably not going to like me very much about this one. But Dan, have you sat all day yet? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> well, then that would be that would be something maybe to consider in November. So um, check this out further. Give that a try. Check this out further. <laughs> I have made steps to that. Okay. Okay. I bought a pair of hip waders. I got. I'm getting a pair of hip waders. I'll have it before the hunting season starts. This will allow me to access my property via backdoor, and now I feel that if I can come into the property from the back end, while all the pressure in the mornings comes from the front end, I'm going to catch these deer naturally coming back to their bedding areas, and that might be the kind of all-day set type of scenario. That sounds good. Yeah. Now, what about all this uh, legwork you've been doing in preparation of your elk hunts? Is that helping your knees at all? Oh, dude, I've lost 10 pounds. I f- I'm actually feeling better. My back feels better. Um, I've been working out more. I've been doing like less like meathead weights and <laughs> more like like I've become friends with the rowing machine. I've been running on a treadmill. Um, I've been changing my diet. Uh, and I feel good. However, I said that about our Idaho trip that we went on. <laughs> we all know how that turned out. Uh, and I think you got the right stuff in mind, though. Like you said, I think you were just trying to impress me with your pecs last time. And uh, <laughs> I think now you got the right stuff in mind. <laughs> yep. Me trying to impress you with my own body. <laughs> I had to share a tent with another man again last week, and it reminded me of you and me. I, I had to tell him that story, um, <laughs> but I've bought a bigger tent now, so it's it's much gotcha. it's, it's much more in line with with the tent you had. Now that gotcha. I've got a, a family of, of three, so uh, yeah, man. Um, all right, let's take a quick break to thank our partners at Onyx, and they are the producers of the Onyx Hunt app which is in steady use on my mobile phone. You know, just last week, for example, I was driving around in the evening, scouting some back roads, looking for velvet bucks, and I ended up getting eyes on a really nice deer. 
really big, tall eight-pointer with, with like seven, eight, nine-inch brow tines. And after I saw that buck, I was curious about two different things. Number one, I wanted to know who owned that property. And I was actually able to see that on my Onyx Hunt app. And then number two, I wondered how far away this deer was from a property that I already could hunt. Well, on the Onyx Hunt app, there's a tool that allows you to measure distances. So I pulled that up and saw this deer was actually only three quarters of a mile away from a spot I can hunt. So that was really encouraging because that, that definitely puts him within range, at least for like a rut cruising kind of situation. So that was exciting. But if you're not familiar, Onyx has got all sorts of other layers and tools as full topo and aerial map layers. Um, it also has private property information, public land borders, uh, things such as current wildfires, um, layers that show recent timber cuts. Uh, most recently I saw they've got a partnership now with the QDMA where they are showing a layer that will actually outline where CWD is present, which is an important thing to know for testing purposes. So this is all really good and helpful stuff. And if you would like to learn more about Onyx, you can visit onyxmaps.com or search for Onyx on your favorite mobile app store. And if you want to get 20% off your purchase, you can use promo code WIRED. That's W-I-R-E-D to get 20% off. What do you think, Spencer, about um, about your season? Have you been? Uh, you have put out some summer trail cameras. I I have seen a little bit of that. What's the story there? Uh, so my summer strategy and summer plans drastically changed a few months ago um, because South Dakota changed their archery opener from the third Saturday in September, which would land anywhere from like. I don't know, mid twenties of September, they changed that to September 1st. And so that has been uh, a huge change for me because typically in the past, nothing that I would do in June, July, August mattered um, because those bucks that I would scout or get to know um, or, or pattern would not be, uh, they'd be foreign to me come the end of September and then ultimately October and November. It didn't matter. So this year has been different because I'll have a chance at some of those deer um, that I've been watching in July and now August. So, you know, if we're talking about goals, like what my goal is this year, I would love to shoot a velvet buck. And so I've been doing everything in preparation for that, um, getting my stands set up for, uh, you know, September 1 through 10, if I was hunting those days, um, you know, this is where I would want that stand, even if it's not going to be very good come uh, November or whatever. Um, I've been setting my cameras up that same way. Uh, I've been scouting areas that are, you know, going to work come September 1st as well. And, and that's my goal. I, I have, you know, I, I would say probably about 10 days before most of the deer lose velvet or, or starting to lose velvet. And so looking at my schedule, I'll likely get like nine of those first 10 evenings to hunt. And my hope is to get a mature velvet buck. Dan, I think we've talked about this before, but would you, would you have interest in targeting a velvet buck specifically? Man, I don't know. It's like this time in my life, um, may, it just depends on the circumstance, right? Cause I, I would like to not shoot a velvet buck, but however, it depends on the trip, right? If I'm going to South Dakota on the first week of September, 
and that's when I have the the trip planned. Well, I may encounter one and I better be prepared to shoot a velvet buck or like, uh, these guys who are going out to the high country for mule deer. Right. So a lot of them are successful before the, the weather kind of comes in and shifts some off of wherever it is that they're living. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, it, it would have to be a game time decision. What about you, Furter? I don't know. I don't, I don't really have. I don't really have as like a goal to go shoot a velvet buck, but it'd be cool. Um, I guess if I'm doing North Dakota, I, I, I guess I wasn't really even thinking about that. Just I haven't hunted in September at all for whitetails, so I guess I need to totally ramp up my game if I'm gonna <laughs> do that and be ready for that. Um, hey, Spencer, I got a question for you. I talk about. I talked about uh, in Iowa. We have this shift, right? As soon as they come out of velvet, th- their patterns changed where you hunt, do you notice a shift in September as well? And do you think that by them moving that, uh, season date up, you're going to be able to still catch them on their summer pattern? Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I said that, um, in the past, you know, nothing that I would do in August would be relevant become like September 24th or whatever. Um, I would say definitely once you hit like that September 15th time, um, you know, your, your bachelor groups are broken up. The velvet comes off a lot of bucks go nocturnal and, and just things change. Um, and I would say that there's, um, a, a few times where I hunt that the deck gets reshuffled with as far as what the deer are doing and, and what deer are around. And I would say that's one of them mid September, um, for us being the pheasant capital of the world, once pheasant season opens, that changes a lot of things as far as where deer bedding. Um, and so that's another time that the the deck gets reshuffled. Um, everything that I hunt is is egg country. These properties are not managed for deer or the farmers are not even thinking about deer when they're doing things. And so uh, it happens again when crop gets harvested or when cattle get moved out of a pasture into a feedlot. And, and that's usually like... Uh, end of October, beginning of November, and then the rut, it happens again. You, you lose deer, gain deer, and then um, once we get into December and things get really cold and snow is on the ground, uh, that's one of the biggest shifts as well that we have because, uh, like I said, properties where I'm at aren't managed for deer, and so uh, the, the food sources can become kind of limited and, and the deer really uh, congregate in some specific areas. So given that's the case, Spencer, um, you're going to get this, like you mentioned, you're going to get this early September time frame that you can finally take advantage of. Opening day is like just two weeks away. Um, what's your game plan? What do you have in place? Do you, do you have a buck picked out? Do you think you've got one patterned already? Tell me about how you're going to get it done. So I threw up some cameras in June, and I've been checking them every, I don't know, two to three weeks since then. And... July, kind of through the beginning of August, um, I was the most confident I've ever been on a buck. I have a, a big five by five that I would say is maybe in the one sixties, um, that, that I was very confident as to where he was bedding, where he was feeding, where he was entering the field. And how do you uh, know that, that kind of thing? Um, just by what I was, uh, I seen him in person one time, how he entered the field and, uh, my trail camera, he was becoming, uh, it was almost redundant. Like he would be there every third day, the last 30 minutes of daylight. And, and that went on for like three weeks. Um, so I, I felt really confident about that deer, but on my last card pull, he's there even less sometimes at night. Um, so, so that's a buck that I was 
probably overconfident on, but with two weeks to go yet, it could change where, uh, you know, all of a sudden I'm, I'm seeing him a bunch again. But as far as my strategy, um, I'm going to be safe. I don't want to mess anything up trying to get a velvet buck that that's going to kick a deer out of some bedding area, um, you know, that would typically hold him all the way through November or whatever. So uh, it's uh, pretty typical early season setups, um, field edges, overlooking beans, um, and just planning on evening hunts. I got a question for you uh, in regards to the ag there. Right? When I think of, and I don't know the terrain that you hunt in, but it sounds like it's heavy into the ag. Um, is there like a main timber or is it just kind of like waterways and um, uh, fence cross fence rows where these deer are bedding? So it's, it's fairly sporadic. Um, South Dakota, I believe, is 49th out of the 50 states in tree coverage. Um, so I think it's either Nebraska or North Dakota has the least amount of trees per square mile, and, and we're second to last. Um, so we don't have a lot of timber. A lot of these deer do end up bedding in low spots in bean fields where there's uh, some CRP or you know a, a slough or a dry slough. But then we also have uh, like shelter belts around, you know, cattle yards where deer will bed and then creek bottoms. Anything that has trees um, is almost guaranteed to have deer because we have so few trees. Yeah. yeah. So the egg is a huge. I mean, once that egg comes out, is there a big shift? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a big one for sure. Um, you know, losing corn or beans is huge. And then moving cattle around is big too. I, I have some properties that I have um, permission to hunt, but they have cattle on them all the way through, you know, the end of October or beginning of November. And it's the, the prettiest country that we have in this area. But the problem is they get gets grazed down to where it looks like a golf course and, uh, the deer just kind of avoid the cattle and, and, you know, or someplace else and they won't move in until like mid November. So the, the trees are super important. And even those areas that are overrun with cattle, as soon as those cattle are out, uh, we'll see deer move in. All right. So the, the question I have then is with the inevitable shift of crops coming out and you, you hunting now this first first week of September, what is stopping you from being aggressive on you know during that first week of september knowing that you know as soon as that crops come out it's going to change everything well the the harvest here can change you know every year some years it's mid-november other years it's early november and so uh, i feel like if i was super aggressive i'm then giving up you know like two months of of hunting unpressured deer if all of a sudden i'm pressuring these deer on like september 1st i I might not have a chance at them you know ever again this season where if i'm playing it safe and uh you know hunting these field edges where i'm I'm guaranteed not to bump anything those are deer i'll continue to see and i can get more familiar with at least until those crops come out um sometime in, in late october the beginning of november got it you know that buck you killed last year, Spencer? Um, that, no, which one? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, sorry. You killed about 12 of them last year. Um, the big one, the really big okay. one you killed in okay. South Dakota. 
Um, I'm sorry for doing that. Yeah, that was a dick move. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Did you? Because I remember that was kind of a surprise. If I if I remember correct, that was a little bit of a surprise for you. That buck kind of came out of nowhere. Did you learn anything from that hunt or that deer or that experience that you're going to apply this year? So what I would contribute me killing that deer to was that it was totally unpressured that buck. I got married last summer and we moved into a different house. And so that ate up a lot of what would be my summer scouting and and prep time and stuff. And so that was an area that was largely untouched by me. Um, And so I think that deer was really comfortable. But as far as applying that to this year, the biggest change is that last year it was corn. And this year it's beans in that particular spot. There's some roads around, um, and there's traffic in that area. And so what changes when it goes from being beans to corn, when it's corn, um, you know, that's a 12 foot wall basically between those deer and that road. And they're so well insulated that, um, nothing about bo- nothing bothers them then. And so when it's all of a sudden beans, uh, it, it's a lot tougher to, to make those deer comfortable in that field. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of doing the same thing where I'm, I'm staying out of the areas where, where those bucks would be betting, but at the same time, it's, it's not going to be as great because of, uh, having the beans now instead of corn. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, so you mentioned, uh, this one big five by five that you thought you had pegged. Um, first off, I think it's funny that you call it a five by five. Um, this is a whitetail podcast, man. That's a 10 pointer. Um, (laughs) and, uh, number two, were there any, are there any other mature bucks on your radar that you've either seen or got on camera? Is there anything else that you might be, uh, hoping to get eyes on early in the season? Uh, there are a few other deer on my radar, um, but nothing as consistent or as big as this buck. Um, I I have a feeling if I'm going to kill a deer in those first 10 days, it's going to be this one. Um, I I don't have many other mature deer that are, um, showing themselves a lot or in areas that I want to be hunting in early September. So, uh, to answer your question, I I think if I'm successful, it's going to be this big five by five. And what are we gonna know this buck as? Um, that that's something I was so bad at naming Dan's deer because I don't <laughs> name deer. Uh, I, I always, to me, that like that adds some extra pressure if I'm naming this deer. Then it feels like uh, I, I have to get him or like I'm after that buck. Or or if uh, you know I have some buddies that name deer, and then it's like implied that they're actually hunting that deer. When in reality, they've only seen that buck like once on trail camera during the rut in the middle of the night. And so, I've always been very hesitant to add deer because it, I feel like it adds some extra pressure. Like I'm looking at my uh, my trail camera inventory right now, and I'll tell you what these files are labeled as. I have Big Ten, No Browse Eight, Small Split G Two, Young tall eight young 10 young split brow <laughs> young straight eight so that's and you uh, could have your you could have a show on the outdoor network with that one <laughs> the, so the creativity you've got there is inspiring right um <laughs> so th- this buck's pictures are living in a folder called big 10 okay so i really like the idea of putting more pressure on you and making you feel uncomfortable <laughs> um so so uh dan <laughs> I'm going to have you name this buck and Spencer, you don't need to know this buck as this name, but the rest of us will. 
Okay. <laughs> what do you got, Dan? Mm. You, couldn't name me, it, you couldn't name it Dan. Dan, yeah. No. Give no. me an estimated score on him. What do you think? I would say like 163. Okay. Uh, how old? Um, I, I'm not familiar with this deer. My best guess would be five and a half. And he's very wide too, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's, uh, he's wide and he is almost perfectly symmetrical, but he has a, a split brow on one side. Okay. What's your favorite movie of all time? <laughs> uh, Forrest Gump. Ooh. <laughs> okay. There it is. Bubba. No, that's dumb. Don't I God, I'm so sorry I even said that. Just name it <laughs> just, just name it Forest. Okay. Got All it? Right. I'm I'm changing the name of the file right now. <laughs> Perfect. Forest. I was hoping you were gonna say Jenny. Jenny. <laughs> Forest, that'll be good. All right. Um now Spencer, you've got a whole slew of other trips though, right? Where else what else are you doing as far as uh hunts this year? So South Dakota is fairly liberal with their tags. And so right now I'm sitting at four South Dakota buck tags um, and I'm in line to maybe draw one or two more. We'll see. There's still some applications to be processed. Um, Those all whitetail? Uh, it, it varies. And so I got to think about this. The two archery tags I have are labeled as any deer. So this could be a whitetail or mule deer, but primarily where I hunt it's whitetails. So it would be a, a shock to me if I were to put a, an archery tag on a mule deer, but I have that option. Um, and then I got to think one of my rifle tags is also an any deer tag, but again, there aren't any mule deer around. I, I've seen one in like the last five years. And then my other tag is an any whitetail tag. And that is in an area that's probably about 50, 50 mule deer whitetail. So if, if I don't get any other tags and, uh, I were to fill these four, my guess is they would all be whitetails. Do you have any preference? Do I have a preference? Yeah, like if you Um, were in an area and you could shoot a mule deer or a whitetail, and would you be like hedging towards one or the other? I've shot quite a few whitetails at this point and and not as many mule deer that uh, I would probably prefer a mule deer. But at the same time, like a a lot of people keep telling me like, uh, you know, Whitetail hunting isn't enough. Pretty soon you're going to want to elk hunt. You're going to want to mule deer hunt and, and bear hunt and all that stuff. But uh, I have not gotten to that point yet. I am so happy, like, shooting a 140-inch whitetail that I uh, I would have a hard time passing one at, for a chance at a, a mule deer. Yeah. What were you going to say, Dan? Is that the same for non-residents? Can they get two tags, too, or is that just for residents? Yes, Uh South Dakota tags are guaranteed for non-residents. It's not a true over-the-counter system where, like, you would drive to some gas station and buy your tag. Um, once you got in the state, that's not how it works. You have to apply online, but you're guaranteed the tag. But as a non-resident, you can get a tag that's good for the east side of the Missouri River and the west side of the Missouri River. The Missouri River cuts the state in half. Um, on the east side of the Missouri River, it's probably – 90% whitetail. There are some mule deer along the Missouri River. On the west side of the Missouri River, it's probably uh, 60, 40, 60% whitetails, 40% mule deer. Gotcha. So. Interesting. Hmm. A lot of opportunities there, Dan. I know. Don't Got come. Don't come. <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've done a very poor job of hiding the success that you've been having out there. 
So secrets out, Spencer. What? So where else though? You, I know you're going to some other places, right? Uh, okay. So I have, I have four South Dakota tags that'll eat up most of my time. Um, and then I have some open invites to like come hunt Kentucky or Oklahoma that I might do, but for the most part, uh, I'll be focusing on on South Dakota. I should draw a rifle antelope tag. I'm going to go archery antelope hunting this weekend. Um, and then I'm also going to be applying for a bison tag. So there's a good wow. chance that I don't leave the state, um, but I'll still be busy. You got to tell us about the, the bison tag. I know you, you told me about this like last week over the phone or something, but uh, tell us what the deal is with that hunt. So we have, I believe it's like the the third largest wild or third largest publicly owned bison population in Custer State Park. That's at the like the foothills of the Black Hills in the western part of the state, and they give out like fifty tags each year. It might be less than that. Maybe it's like thirty. I don't remember. Um, but uh. Getting a tag isn't isn't super hard. You're able to draw sometimes with like four or five points. So once you do draw, you have a, a certain amount of days that you are allowed to go hunt at like the end of October. And your your tag can fall into like two categories, non-trophy bison or trophy bison. And so because of the, the cost, I would be getting the non-trophy bison tag. Um, and when you get out there, you have to have a biologist with you that approves of you, you know, taking a shot at or harvesting uh, a specific bison. So that's what it would be. And because these things are in a state park, um, they're not super wild. Like it'll honestly probably be one of the easier hunts that I would ever do. It would just be special uh, because it is bison. And I would probably try it with my bow. Hmm. What differentiates this trophy versus non-trophy classification? I, I think age structure. So I, I think the uh, biologists there are very familiar with what uh, you know a, an older bison looks like versus a younger bison, and so I, I think you're going off the width of their horns. Are they, are they called horns on a bison? Right. Yeah. 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 So. I think you're going off um, the width of that. Or maybe if there's like a a younger male that's problematic, that he's, you know, running off a, a bunch of females or something, that they would have you try to get that one or, or whatever it might be. That I'm not super familiar with. I just know it would be a, a, a smaller bison. So you draw a, bu- a bison tag. It's sometime in that last part of October. What happens if it's the like the night before your bison hunt and you happen to check your trail camera picture and you see that forest is moving in daylight uh, and you've got the perfect wind and conditions the next day, cold front, you know, uh, the wind's just where you want it, maybe a, a high barometric pressure, whatever it is you like, whatever your flavor is. Um, would you still go on the bison hunt? Because you got that tag and it's the special hunt. Or do you say, I got to put that on hold because Forrest is ready to go? 
no, I would, I would go on the bison hunt for sure. But I've made that mistake in the past where I've, uh, you know, it's been approaching the rut and like a deer has slowly been showing up closer to daylight. And then I go chasing a different tag that I have in a different part of the state or something. And I, I come back and I, I had multiple missed opportunities or a missed opportunity. Um, that's something that I consider with other tags I have, but that wouldn't be the case uh, with a bison tag. Yeah. Um, Dan, do you have now? This isn't this isn't quite as applicable. But given what you know about Spencer, other than telling him that he should have kids, do you have any recommendations <laughs> for him this season? <laughs> That's a joke, dude. Don't have kids. Are you ki- kidding me? <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, I can't. I can't give him advice, man. I don't. I don't know. The only thing I would say is, don't be afraid. If you feel the sh- there's going to be a shift coming, don't be afraid to get aggressive on a couple of those early season hunts. Um, you know, maybe if, even if it has to be a, a, like a quick run and gun inside a timber line uh, to catch him maybe a little bit before daylight. I don't know. That's just I guess that's just what I I would try to do if I had a deer coming out uh, on a field edge and it's a little bit past dark. Uh, I'd probably be a little bit more aggressive and bump into maybe a staging area or a first kind of pinch point between where you think he's betting uh, all given the the correct wind direction of course so you you probably do i'm assuming a lot of your hunt adjustments spencer is it more observation based than trail camera based just because the fact there is so little timber that you can just see much farther was that would you say that's accurate yes i would say that if i'm uh moving a a stand location mid-season or something it's because i was hunting a different stand and you know, saw uh, a buck using a different trail or in a different area. Um, I I don't get a ton of relevant information from my trail camera. So yeah, I would say that it's uh, mostly observation based. Yeah. I, I love hunting places like that where you can see far because number one, it, it's, it's a huge just tool. Just being able to observe from a distance is so helpful. And that, that's a harder thing to do here in a place like Michigan with so much timber um in flat land there's just not a whole lot of great observation points but i love going to places you know like out west where you can see so much further like that i mean that's just fun it's just fun too, being able to see deer lots of deer and observe that movement even if it's out of shooting range that's just that's just a cool so i'm i'm jealous of you from that perspective um and and on that front talking about hunting these big wide open places um further are you hunting North Dakota this year? Is that actually going to happen? Uh, we'll see. I got to make my mind up here real quick. I'm I'm probably going to make my decision here this week, and uh, I got some things I got to work around with work. See if I can get those rearranged. But I think if I can do that, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a go. It's two weeks what away. What date? I know it's two weeks away. So I probably be out there. I don't think I'm going to be able to get out there the first um, September first. I gotta look at a calendar here real quick if it'll pull up. I think I'm gonna try to get out there like that Tuesday, so like the fourth, September fourth. How long are you gonna be able to budget to it? Probably a week. Probably a week. Probably till the eleventh. Okay. So here's so. here's my dilemma that I'm torn between is that my original plan was to go to Montana for, well, you know, actually now that you just told me that, that makes this decision much easier for me. Um, because <laughs> I was, if you were going to go there for opening day in North Dakota, I was seriously considering 
joining you there just because it'd be fun to be hunting together for a few days and then hopefully fill a tag in, you know, three, four, five days and then still have time to go to Montana. But if you're not going to be there to the fourth anyways, I'm just going to go Montana first and hope that I can get it done there. And then maybe by the time I get it done, you know, you'll be just arriving or only starting there. So yeah, that could work. Yeah. Um, what do you how think? Long are you gonna be, how long are you going to be out there for? I have from like September 1st through the 10th that I've kind of budgeted for those that hunt. Montana hunt and then, you know, now that you're going to yep. Dakota, I, I'm going to try to make it happen, make it work to sneak over there too. Um, so have you been, have you been thinking about any more? Have you thought through, have you looked at any more maps? Cause I'm, yeah, I've know. been, I've been looking at it on Onyx. I've, I've just been looking at that stuff a lot here and out there. Yeah. Just trying to figure out some places. I got a pretty good idea of where I want to go, where I'm going to stay and camp and all that good stuff. Um, and then some of it's just going to be get out there. I'll probably, I'm probably not going to hunt the mornings. Um, just use that time to do a little scouting or do some glassing and see what I can, you know, see what I can figure out where they're, where they're going, where they're coming from, and then try to set up on them in the afternoon and kind of do a little bit dr- driving around out there and kind of ground truth in the stuff that we weren't able to get to um, when we went out and shed hunted. Yeah. You, um, so you're going to be mobile. You're going to be kind of running and yeah. gunning, right? Didn't you, yep. you've kind of yep. put together a new mobile setup this year, isn't that right? A little bit. Um, I'm just kind of tweaking it from what I had. I was just so sick of like carrying sticks on the bottom of my backpack and making all sorts of noise and they never stay together. So I got some of those, um, God, what are they called? The, the talons, Mark? Is that what they're called? The stick oh, yeah, talons? The stick talons, yep. Yeah, so I got those. I'm going to strap them on the back of my um, tree stand that hopefully will, will be a little bit easier. I was talking about maybe, thinking about maybe getting some like individual steps and just be a little bit more lightweight. But then I got to think, I don't feel like strapping up 10 or 12 steps every, every time I'm going in. And um, I've got the muddy sticks with the kind of the rope attachment system that I really like. They're quiet. They're they're easy to use, um, but they're just a little clunky getting in and out. So I'm, I'm hoping those stick talons will, will work um, well for what I want. And uh, I've got a I got a new tree stand last year. Uh, I got the XOP Vanish, I think it's called. Um, really like that. Really comfortable. Really light. Easy to get in and and out and up in the tree. Um, so I'm just trying to fine tune that. And uh, I think I'm think I'm where I want to be. But then you got me thinking about trying to harness a couple of weeks ago when you had that podcast talking about the harness stuff. Mm-hmm. So now I'm toying around with that. So I've, I'm probably just going to stick with the tree stand. But, man, the, the saddle stuff is really intriguing. Yeah. I still haven't gotten mine. So I'm hoping I'll have, I'll have one of them in time for that hunt. But it is really a very intriguing option. Um, so what are you thinking for that hunt? What's your, what's your, what's your goal there? What are you going to shoot? If, uh, I mean, anything that would be remotely mature. I mean, I'd love to kill a three and a half year old. Um, that's kind of, it's kind of my goal anywhere I go, really. I mean, I try not to differentiate it too much from, from where I'm at, but you know, if I get out there and there's just an abundant amount of those three and a half year olds, maybe I'll try to be a little bit more selective, but if I'm spending the time to drive all the way out there and, and I don't want to, I don't want to kill the first thing I see, but I don't want to, I don't want to be too picky and then go with an unfilled tag. Um, if there's anything that remotely makes me happy, I'm going to, 
I'm gonna try to make it happen. So you'd shoot? Would you shoot? Let Let's say that it's like a really kind of like average run of the mill three and a half year old buck. You see the very first night you're out. You're out there. You're like an hour in, and like a like a nice buck. I go, oh, it's a nice buck. Definitely a three year old comes walking by. He's at 25 yards. You gonna shoot him right away, or do you like you gotta see what else is out here? You've only been here an hour. Yeah, no, that's 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 a that's a conundrum I, I would face. I, I probably would not shoot that buck the first night, um, if we're like. But then that's the old adage, you know, don't pass the don't pass the deer the first day that you you kill on the last day. So and this is um, North Dakota, right, Furder? Yeah, yeah. Right. So can you and get another some, tag? I I don't know. Um, I I probably would only get one if I did. You know, I'd, I'd probably only do one. Um, if you can even get a second tag, I don't know. I don't know. The, I don't know the answer to that, but man, we found some nice, just like really quality sheds while you're out there. So I think I have a decent idea of what's running out, running around out there. Um, so if it was something that was like, whoa, okay, that, that looks like a real nice, day. you know, first night I, I probably would pull the trigger. Um, but if it was just kind of like a, eh, if, if, it, if I question it all, I wouldn't, I don't know if that gives you a real straight answer. Cause I don't even know if I know, but um, it just had to be a heat of the moment kind of thing. I think now, what if you've got a, no questions asked, like nice buck, definitely three, maybe four. Um, he's in front of you, but then the drop time buck is a hundred yards behind him, but heading your way. Do you take the, yeah, nice buck. That's a sure thing. Or do you wait and see if the drop time will come by? Where are we at during the week? Uh, we'll say we're middle of the week, exactly dead center. Oh man, you and your scenarios. <laughs> I know. Shoot it. <laughs> yeah, shoot it, I, I'd probably shoot the one that was in front of me. I'd shoot the one that was in front of me. Is that the right call, Spencer? Uh yeah, I'd, I'd shoot that one if you're out of state, public land like that for sure. <laughs> you shoot yeah. that buck. You get out of your tree stand. You go scare the shit out of that buck so he goes nocturnal <laughs> the rest of the year. Mark it on your map and go hunt him yep. the next year. <laughs> Sounds like I, a good plan, Dan. I, I thought you were going to say, scare the shit out of any deer that are near Mark's stand. <laughs> <laughs> I can oh, see that man. happening, too. Um, yeah, man, that's going to be a really cool hunt. I'm yeah. in a perfect world. I'll uh, finish off Montana in like four or five days and meet you there right in time. And um, like you said, we did see good sign, and uh, I think there's some promise there. So. Yep, for sure. The rest of your, go ahead, Spencer. Will your standards change? Maybe you already answered this, but will your standards change like the last one or two days of that hunt? Would you then shoot like a two and a half year old if it came out? I probably wouldn't. I probably wouldn't shoot a younger deer. Um, If I if I think he's three and a half, you know, I'd I'd shoot him. I probably wouldn't shoot a young deer just to fill a tag. Um, Just my go. Um, I don't know. I I haven't really even thought about that. Um. That's a good question. Who is that, Dan, that I said? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll have to think about that one if I just wanted to fill my tag with the dough. And, again, I have, I have to look at the regulations to see if I could even do that. Um, you know I'm how not, those – I'm not sure. Those out-of-state hunts, though, it's always the last five minutes of the last night when the big boy rolls yeah. through. Well, that's how, it, that's how it happens on TV anyway. <laughs> and everything on TV <laughs> is reality, Josh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. So uh, I, I, I probably would not shoot a doe, Dan. I probably wouldn't shoot a doe out there. I'm hoping to kill a couple does in Michigan this year. Um, I, I don't think I'd shoot a doe out there. 
rest of your season, Josh, is kind of different than usual, right, this year? Yeah, um, man, it's kind of weird. Because of our Ohio debacle. Yeah. Um, so what's what's your plan for the rest of the year? What kind of goals and thoughts do you have about the rest of the season? Yeah, it's been a different year, and um, you know, I'll be completely honest. I've, I I was totally com- totally complacent with the whole Ohio thing, and and really just was relying on that. And I don't know why I was knowing the situation that we were in. We knew it wasn't going to be forever, but I just kind of got lazy and didn't really find any backup spots down there, and um, you know, paying for it now. But um, I kind of mainly just relying on public land this year in Michigan. I've got a couple of of opportunities where some some private might work out but um the more i've been thinking about it, I'm, I'm kind of excited about it um not being limited to just a couple of spots i've, I've got quite a few um, areas around me that i'm going to check out this year and i'm just going to try to be real aggressive and um I like know, not it. worry about not worry about you know blowing something out and i'm going to kind of just be aggressive all season long if i can and and get in some places that maybe i wouldn't have gone in the past and see what see what i can make happen if, if nothing happens so be it um but man it'd be pretty cool if if i could uh run into a three and a half year old in michigan on public land that'd be pretty cool um i've got yeah. a i've got a small place up up north my my in-laws have a little 10 acres up up in northern michigan that i've got a camera out and i hung a stand uh, a couple of weeks ago and did a couple of things up there to get that ready um try to hunt that maybe a little bit more this year but um yeah, really, really, I don't have any other trail cameras out besides that. So I'm just going to kind of go by the seat of my pants and see what happens. And it's, it's kind of exciting at the same time, um, not really being, not really knowing what's out there, you know. Hey, I got a question. What What's the um, chances that, let's say you strike out in the Dakotas, mm-hmm. you come you come home and, you know, you do your thing in, in Michigan, but is there a chance that you'll be able to make a second trip out to uh, North Dakota to hunt? Yeah, that'd be a possibility. If I could, I could probably work that into my, into my schedule to get back out there maybe for four or five days or something. Um, I could probably make that happen if I needed to. I hope I don't, but um, it could definitely, definitely be an option. It's a cool area. I mean, yeah. Yeah. it's just, it's a long drive. Yeah, it's super. Yeah, because yeah, it's it's a long drive. Yeah. Um. So goals then this year, or have been you're hoping to kill a three and a half year old North Dakota, and then it's gonna be three and a half for public land in Michigan too. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna go for it and see what happens. And like I said, if 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 I don't kill a buck, I don't kill a buck. Um, applied for some public land uh, public land doe license. So if I can kill a doe, that'd be that'd be cool too i mean you don't see a ton of them on on public land so um is there we'll any, see. is there anything you'd do differently this year because because last year i know you you did some exploring of some of the public land around yeah. by where you're at yeah. anything this year that you know you want to do differently or that you learned from that experience or anything yeah yeah check out more places i kind of i kind of got zeroed in on like two different you know two different pieces that i was going to i'd i'd move around while i was there but I want to go check out some of these other spots that um, I've looked at on maps and now I've kind of walked some of them. Um, so I just want to, I don't want to be, I don't want to be committed to just one spot or two spots. Um, just be willing to kind of go outside of my comfort zone and check out some, some new areas. 
Yeah. Did did you guys try getting any private access in North Dakota, or is the the public so uh, expansive where you're at that you don't need it? We didn't, um, and it wasn't it wasn't so much that um, there was so much public. It was more so that we just didn't have enough time. Um, we were kind of at the, we were kind of more focused on shed hunting than scouting. And we had you know six days or whatever, and we figured all right, hit these main public spots we wanted to, and then we also wanted to check out this stuff in Montana. So then we went to Montana to to do that because I wanted to do a little bit of shed hunting and scouting there as well. So it was just more so the fact that if we had more time down there, I think it definitely would have made sense to try to get some permission because um, there was a lot of good looking stuff that is under private ownership. Um, I think that's a possibility once the season starts. You never know, especially out there. There's just not as many people, not as much pressure. Um, there's probably a little bit better chance of getting permission kind of last minute like that, especially, you know, early bow season. Hey, we're just here for three more days. Any chance we could, you know, sit out here a couple of times, um, there's a chance that could work out. Um, but kind of like you said, Josh, hopefully you don't need to do that. But if you do. Uh, I believe that North Dakota is a purple fence post state where if it's not posted, no hunting that you can legally trespass. That's probably not very helpful with like archery equipment, but maybe that would give you an indication of landowners that are you know possibly open to hunting. If their land isn't posted, that would give you better odds of, you know, finding a place that you could get permission for. Yeah. That's such a, yeah. I, that's such a weird thing to me. Like I, I, I've never would even think about that. Cause I, for you know, just in Michigan or wherever else you would never think that that'd be okay. But for those that aren't familiar with that, can you explain that Spencer? Uh, so there are some States and it's fairly random. I'm not even familiar with which other ones there are. I think maybe one of the Carolinas is that way. Uh, North Dakota is that way. Um, and then there's like some parts of other states, like in South Dakota, for example, there are some areas where if the property is not posted, no hunting, that you can then legally trespass and hunt that property. Now, the regulations are more specific than that as far as what's allowed and what's not allowed, but that's kind of a simple way to put it. And there's also some areas that, um, if the property isn't posted for no hunting, that it's also acceptable to paint your corner posts purple, which then indicates no trespassing. Hmm. Wow. That's <laughs> unique. What about, um, what about, what are the laws over there by you, Spencer, as far as recovering deer? Like a lot of states by us here, like you can't even, you can't trespass, even to recover a deer, you need written permission to recover a deer over property lines. What's that by you? So to recover a deer, you need permission. Um, but where I'm at, um, you know, it's a very small town feel. You know all the landowners around you. You you know probably know where they live or know their phone number. And on very rare occasions, I would say people have problems with that. But otherwise, it's you know, usually as easy as a phone call or a go and knock on their door and they say, hell yeah, you know, go get it. Um, yeah. we, ha we have some other unique laws too because of our pheasant hunting. Like uh, I, I believe you're allowed to make unarmed 
retrievals of small game like a pheasant if it lands on private property um, some people would get that confused with like deer recovery laws um, but as far as like a, a deer goes um, to cross a fence line or go into another property you need to have permission interesting um it's hard to keep track of this all the different states have so many different ways of approaching that kind of stuff it's just another reminder to me how like every time you hunt somewhere new you really need to like scour the regulation books because every one of these states has got wonky different things like that i uh you can't make any assumptions i think is probably the one thing you should always remember yeah so i i'm know a few people who have hunted North Dakota in the past or had family in North Dakota. And what I've been told is that it used to be really great for that, uh, you know, that not a whole lot of landowners had stuff posted. But once the oil boom happened and you had a huge, huge influx of um, out-of-staters that were living there for, you know, six months, 12 months at a time, and, and a lot of them were early 20s men or whatever that a lot of ground then became posted after that so i think uh the north dakota strategy of, of hunting like that has changed like in the last decade or so versus what it was like in the early 2000s you would have had a lot more opportunity um but that's just weird to think about and maybe that'll flip again here um as the the oil industry kind of leaves north dakota all right huh that is uh, an interesting thing to think about. I have it. I have it pulled up here. This is from the North Dakota Game and Fish website. No hunting is allowed without permission from the landowner or leasee on private lands in North Dakota that have been posted. So there we go. But if it's unposted, fair game. If it's unposted, yes. Okay. I, I believe. Look into that more before you go after your deer <laughs> on yeah. private land. But yeah. I, I believe that's the case. Okay. All right. That's good to know. Good little tip there, Spencer. Thanks for that. All right, we're going to pause here for the last break of this episode and just want to thank our partners at Whitetail Properties for their support. And we are back today with another one of my quick YouTube recommendations. They have this Land Beat uh, YouTube video series where they're getting all sorts of different advice, recommendations as far as hunting and property management, all sorts of things like that. And in one of their more recent videos, it's titled Fall Food Plots, Great Mid to Late Season Hunting. Uh, Whitetail Properties land specialist Tom James walks us through what he likes to plant in small woodland food plots. He likes to combine a cereal grain like oats or cereal rye and brassicas. And I love that combination too. That's something that I use on my own food plots. And in this quick video, Tom explains why that works so well, how he does it. It's definitely a quick and helpful video that I'd recommend. So check it out over at the Whitetail Properties YouTube channel. And if you want to learn more about their specialists or their properties, you can head to whitetailproperties.com. Um, what about, uh, well, you know what? We better we better wrap this up a little bit here. We got to talk about my goals and some things going on, but Dan had to drop off early, so you guys now are in charge of grilling me um, and making me look like a fool if you want, um, since Dan can't do it. Um, you know, the only things I guess I would say about my hunting season this year, we all kind of know that I'm chasing Holyfield still here in Michigan, um, and I do have that North Dakota and Montana hunt in the beginning, and then I've got that Boundary Waters Minnesota hunt in the middle of October. Um, and then it's going to be a lot of Michigan stuff after that. I'm, I'm trying to slip in a quick Nebraska trip too. Um, but you know, so I just don't know what the situation is going to be here at home. 
I don't know if Holyfield's still around. I did get the shed in January, but I don't. I've not had any sightings or anything of him since then. I've been driving around in my main Michigan properties trying to get eyes on bucks. I have seen two good deer within like half a mile, three quarters of a mile of that property. One was a really nice big eight pointer. Um, another one was almost just a big six. He does have G threes, but they're like just barely an inch long. So they might be an eight, might be a six technically, but super tall, really tall tines, um, brow tines. You saw that picture last night, Josh, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, so there's those, those couple good bucks in the general area, but I, I haven't checked my summer trail cameras yet. I just put them out a couple weeks ago. I'm not going to touch them till closer towards the end of the month. I'm planning on trying to like on my main Michigan properties. I'm going to try to like do all as much of my intrusion as possible just in like a day or two period. So like in that one day or two period, I'm going to try to finish my food plots, do my last couple stand adjustments, check the cameras and then get out of there. So just kind of have a flurry in a short amount of time, but not a bunch of activity like every couple of days over and over and over again all through August. Um, so I got to get that finished up here in the next week and a half. Um, so I think, you know, here in Michigan, Holyfield's the number one goal. But then a four-year-old, just about any four-year-old, I will probably take a shot at if it's a good quality mature buck. Um, we do have two tags here in the state. Um, so I could always depend on Holyfield on that second tag. And I've got, you know, my main Michigan spot where Holyfield is, a couple other little places. And then there's our northern Michigan deer camp that me and Furter hunt. Um, it'd be amazing to shoot a mature buck up there. And uh, as you've seen, Josh, we're getting some mature bucks on camera finally, so that's a possibility. Yep, yep. Um, and then I've got this new property on the west side of the state where I think there's a good chance of seeing some good deer. I'm not sure exactly how much time I'm going to be able to spend over there, but at least a week in November I'm going to be there. So it's going to be four-year-olds in Michigan with Holyfield as the number one buck. That buck survivor, there was a three-year-old last year. If he shows back up, which I haven't seen him yet, but if he shows back up, I would love to get a crack at him since I have so many pictures and sightings of him last year. Um, Montana and North Dakota, it's going to be probably a four-year-old or older. Um, not going to be too terribly picky other than that. Um, and then Minnesota, it's going to be anything. I think if I see a deer, I'll probably shoot any deer just because I don't know if we're going to see many deer at all. It sounds like it's big timber, big woods, few deer, very few sightings. So it's more so like an adventure of just getting in there. And if you see a deer, that's a success and getting it out, um, is a project in itself. Um, so that's kind of my season's goals, you know, in the main deer. It's not like, you know, usually, Josh, we've got our Ohio property. We've got a bunch of bucks down there we're chasing that we've seen year after year. But, you know, we don't have that this year. Um, so it's going to be kind of Michigan is the spot with history. Everything else is going to be kind of showing up brand new, figuring things out. But but kind of like you said, Josh, I mean, that's that's kind of exciting in its, in its own. So are you willing to... I know in the past you've said that you don't want to take multiple deer off of your Holyfield property, but is that something that you would consider this season? Since I don't think you shot one there last year, but would you take two this year? Yeah, that's a that's a great point. Um, I haven't shot a buck on that property um, since 2015. That the first year I saw Holyfield was 2015. I killed a buck on that property opening night. And then, yeah, didn't try to shoot any other deer there because of that one buck rule there. Um, and then the subsequent subsequent years, I've just been chasing Holyfield. But this year, 
yes, I would shoot multiple bucks on that property this year because, like I just said, haven't taken any deer off this property in three years, any bucks off this property in three years. And um, it would have to be it'd have to be a really good one, though. It'd have to be, like, either one of these four-year-olds that I know, like Survivor, or one of these no-brainer deer. Um, you know, if it's, like, the biggest buck I've ever had an opportunity at in Michigan, yeah, I'm going to take it because I could always still hunt Holyfield, that second tag. But... In years past, you know, I've shot some three-year-olds on this property. Some like, ah, you know, it's nothing. It's not the kind of buck that's like gonna send you over the edge. But in this area, a three-year-old is not terribly common either. So I've taken some deer like that. Um, this year, no like tweeners like that. It's either gonna be like a no-brainer, like drop your jaw, get you really pumped, Holyfield or Survivor, or just just wait it out. Um. I'm not budgeting a whole bunch of time to that property either. You know, in past years, I hunted it too much early, I think, in the past years when I was hunting Holyfield. So this year, it's going to be like opening night if the conditions are right, and then nothing till November, unless I get some kind of intel that tells me that I need to change that. Um, but, you know, two years ago, I hunted, and I've talked about this ad, ad nauseum, but two years ago, I hunted like almost every weekend for him because I kept thinking these little mini cold fronts might get him moving. And then last year, I thought he, you know, he historically starts moving around the 24th or 25th, which is what he did the two years prior to that. So I thought, okay, as soon as that date range hits, I'm going to start hunting him hard. And so I started hunting him hard on the 24th, and I didn't see him for like seven, eight days. Um, so I think I pushed him there too soon. Now he's a little bit older. I think he's just even tightening up his daylight activity even more. So this year, I'm going to try to play it even more cool and wait till... October 31st or November 1st, and then hunt him hard during that one time period where he seems to be, every year, the last three years, he's been moving during that time frame on this property. So I'm going to kind of put all my chips into that basket um, unless, I, you know, I'll have cameras running. I'll be trying to observe from a distance on the nights I can get away and, and, and scout from a distance. So if something like that tells me to do something otherwise, then I will adjust. But that's kind of what I'm working with. And... Um, you know, I've been making all sorts of different stand adjustments and property adjustments, doing a few things differently with my food plots this year to try to make those a little bit better. So, you know, each year that I've been hunting Holyfield, I've been like trying to just sweeten things a little bit more, just improve the stands just a little bit more, improve the food plots a little more, improve whatever habitat work I can do just a little bit more. Um, so I definitely learned some things last year as far as where I was seeing them. So I'm going to be setting up a few more stands this week in some new locations based on what I learned last year. Um, so my focus area is going to be much more back in the cover on the back of the property versus up in the front towards that food that I focused on the first couple of years. Um, but that's kind of that's kind of where my head's at right now. Doing I, these other gotta... hunts. Go ahead, Go Spencer. For... Doing these other hunts, Mark, in Minnesota, North Dakota, Montana, do you worry at all about being able to age a deer that's unfamiliar to you? You know, I, some of the, like the area that you hunt in Montana, those bucks seem like their bodies are smaller. They almost look malnourished. They're not malnourished, but, uh, you know, I think it's very different than the deer you see in Michigan. Does that worry you at all about being able to age one of these bucks that you've never seen before? Yeah. Yeah. No, it definitely was something that I noticed, um, last year in particular, when I went to that property in Montana, I was looking at these deer and, and thinking, uh, I don't think, I think that's just a two or three year old. When I looked back on video later in the year and started thinking, Hmm, maybe, you know, 
and not only not only are they different body size, but also this is really early in the year. So a lot of the criteria that we look at to try to age bucks, usually those things like how big is their neck or how you know where does their neck meet their chest or different things like that. A lot of times those things are much easier to distinguish when you get closer to the rut. You know, in September a lot of these even mature buck will look younger in September, much more sleek. Um, so I do think that's a little bit of a challenge that I um, I think I've learned a little bit now that I've hunted out there twice. But this year, I'm definitely going to be thinking about that a little bit more. Um, maybe even look at some pictures online or do some different things just to try to like make sure my eye is tuned to that western whitetail a little bit more. Um, because like, I just think between the body size, the time of the year, and even like the antler size, it just all it just the, per, the the ratio just seems a little different. Um, so yeah, that's that's definitely going to be on my mind. Um, and then throw in if bucks still have any velvet on, I mean, that, that makes it tougher too. I mean, yeah, that's a good point. And I, you know, to, to you, what you were talking about earlier, Spencer, I think I would actively try not to shoot a velvet buck. So if I had two bucks in front of me on our North Dakota or Montana hunt, I'm trying not to shoot the velvet one. Um, I don't know why I just don't have that desire. And then number two, I don't want to deal with it. I've heard it's a real challenge to deal with velvet. Like, Lots of times it ends up getting all messed up or you need to pay to get like this fake velvet to put on it because they can't preserve it. How, do you have a plan for dealing with that? Uh, no, I do not. And, and I'm not sure if it's like, I'm not so much like attracted to the idea of getting a velvet buck. I, I think it's more that the hunting style is different. Um, you know, just like that time of year sitting at tree stand is so different when it could be 85 degrees and there's mosquitoes and stuff. Um, and, and just that their pattern is different, that they're still potentially on their summer pattern. I think the challenge of something brand new like to that, something brand new like that is, is appealing to me. Uh, and, and it's less about the velvet. Um, but at the same time, that would be something unique with a deer that I've never, you know, had a chance to harvest before. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I I'm, I'm right there with you as far as, how much fun it is to start hunting that early September. When I started doing that, you know, two, three years ago or whatever, it, it's, I'm hooked on that. Like that is a lot of fun. They're on that, that pretty consistent bed to feed pattern. They're on their you know, following those summer habits. It's a cool time of year to be out there. I, uh, you know, this is my third or fourth year now doing it. And I think Josh, you're gonna feel the same way. So that's, it's awesome to get out there at that point. Did you have another question? I, further? I, I got a couple questions for you and this is, this is in, uh, this is from Michigan. Are you worried? And I thought this is maybe where Spencer was going. Are you worried with how many trips that you're taking that it could negatively impact your ability to have a run in with Holyfield? Yeah. Um, I'm kind of taking the, I'm almost swinging the pendulum in the far opposite direction of last year, almost too far maybe because last year, because I was so obsessed with Holyfield, I canceled all my other trips and I just hunted Holyfield the whole year, and I didn't get a shot at anything. Now this year, I'm going the opposite. I told myself, you know what? I'm not going to let my obsession over one buck like define my whole season. I'm going to go do other fun stuff, and I have other experiences. So now all of a sudden, I've stacked myself up with all these other trips. Um, that is a little concerning to me, um, but, but the more I think about it, I really think that I only have a handful of hunts in – the season when I actually have a real chance at that buck, I think, given what I've seen now. 
And as long as I'm there on that during that right time frame, I think I think leaving this property alone completely, except for like seven days, is better than like dabbling on the property like fourteen times, but scattered throughout the year. I think this is like my my hypothesis right now. So yes, that's a possibility, and I am gonna have maybe a cell camera or two up there. So I'm gonna be kind of monitoring the area, and if all of a sudden he starts showing up a bunch, if I'm around home. I will, you know, close enough to that property, I will change that plan and go in there. But there's a possibility I could be in Minnesota or something or wherever, Nebraska, and I could get a bunch of daylight pictures of him and I might be kicking myself. Okay, um, here's here's a scenario for you. Okay. It is the it is the night before the afternoon or whatever, evening before you're leaving for Minnesota and you get a cell camera photo that Holyfield is sitting in one of your food plots in daylight. The next day looks perfect. You could get in there and potentially kill him. Are you leaving for Minnesota that next morning? I am calling up Andy and saying, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, Andy. We got to push the Minnesota trip back because, yeah, I, I'm at least flexible on my dates on that one, on most of these trips at least. Um, so, yeah, I will definitely how about, push how about if you're halfway? How about if you're halfway to Minnesota? <laughs> In that case, I'm probably sticking with Minnesota because I think that uh, Andy's a nice guy, but he probably punched me in the head if I turn <laughs> this around and uh, try to do that. So I don't know. I okay. feel like I feel Not- like there's a good chance it's something on these Michigan properties. I just don't know if Holyfield's going to show or not. If he does show, I think there's a chance. Next next question: Are you planning on being more aggressive with doe harvest? on your main piece this year? Yes, ish. I'm still in the same boat as I am every year because this property, I know I need to do more doe control on it. But at the same time, I feel like if I start being aggressive with doe control, it's going to blow any chance at Holyfield. So I'll probably do what I've done in past years, but try to do a better job of it. So I'll probably be targeting him on this property. Um, and if he's still alive, you know, if I haven't killed him and it's December, I'll probably set like a deadline. Like if I don't kill him by December 15th or 18th or something like 20th, whatever it is, if I don't get him by then, then I just have to switch to doe hunting. And, yeah. um, at that point, just say, all right, he's made it this far. I got to try to kill some does and start, start doing that. And I'm going to force you to come help me and try to get some other friends <laughs> to come help me. Um, cause I need to be, even, I need to get more off this farm than I have in years past. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's all we, I mean, you know, it's a dilemma I have every year. I'd love to start taking some does early in the season, but it's just, you know how it is. It's so small here. If any, basically anywhere I shoot a doe on this property, they could run into like one of like the two main bedding areas and it would force me to completely blow out, you know, the one mature buck in the area. And, and they just, they won't tolerate that. If it happens once you're kind of. SOL. So that's, that's a tough thing about this little area. Anything else, gentlemen? I got one more question. Yeah. Are you, are you willing to go after, I think you did last year if I, if I remember right, but would you, are you going to be willing to hunt your place or the place where Holyfield's at uh, during the firearm season? Are you going to, you going to stick with your, sanctuary method and try to completely stay out of there yeah i think 
I'm I'm planning on sanctuary strategy again, but if you know if I'm if I'm seeing him actively like that last day or two, I'm willing to I'm willing to bend on that. I'm not I'm I don't need to be so locked on that. Um, so yeah, I would I would push it and hunt opening day or something like that if I had a really good reason to. Um, mm-hmm. But in general, I think that keeping it relatively low pressure there is still I think that's been a good thing. I don't think I don't think that that buck would be six years old this year if I was hunting him hard during gun season because I just think there would have been too many chances that I'd push him and he'd be on a neighbor's where they're just letting guns guns fly. Now this year is going to be weird though because as you know, uh, Josh, in a handful of counties across the state, they have now implemented some new regulations because of CWD and they are now taking our two-week firearm season and they are now extending that through the entire muzzleloader season. So we have a two-week firearm season, and then in southern Michigan, it's a, it's about a three-week muzzleloader season, maybe a little less than that, but somewhere around that time frame. Now that's all going to be general firearm. So there's going to be almost a five-week general firearm season where I hunt. And uh, Mark, can, we, can you clarify one thing on that? That's for that's for a 16-county CWD management zone. It's not everywhere in the state. Yes. Um, and not all of Southern Michigan. There's 16 counties where that's going to be. Yeah. Thank you can you. find that all on, on Michigan's DNR website. Yeah. So that's the, the, the counties where CWD has been found and then all the counties that touch them, right? Basically, yeah. Well, uh, basically like, uh, uh, surveillance areas that they set up that they want to get more deer tested on. And yes, most of them do touch, um, counties where CWD has been detected. Yeah. So, so that's one of the new things we're going to be dealing with this year. I have some concerns, you know, just pers- like selfishly about how that's going to impact like my own personal hunting. Um, I worry a little bit, but at the same time, you know, as you know, Josh, you've been, well, you've heard all the different controversy around these new regulations. There's been a lot of, uh, people worried about it, upset about it, lots of opinions about what's happening. Um, I was gonna to try to get into all that today, but maybe we'll save it for another time because we're kind of running out. That's of time a here. podcast, like all on its own, probably. Yeah. And you could yeah. probably get some. You should probably get some people that are much more versed in it than I am, or have a have some more uh, background and have a biologist. Uh, yeah. A couple of biologists on that could really go into it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's there's been a ton of drama over it, and there's just a lot of passionate deer hunters here in Michigan, and. Um, a lot of people that have been working for a long time to to see some good change here and, you know, may not be the case right now. Yeah, we will see. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm going to say we wrap this one up here um, because I've got other things i got to run off to actually. But we have got, Josh, your number one goal is to kill a three-and-a-half-year-old in North Dakota or public land Michigan. Would you say that's it? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yep. And Spencer, your number one goal is to kill uh forest or a <laughs> yes. buck like that. Would you agree? Yeah, a, ma- a mature velvet buck. Okay. And my number one goal is to kill Holyfield. And Dan isn't here, so we can make up a goal for him. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to say it's probably to kill Gnarly Charlie, I guess. So that's that's what we got ahead of us. We have hunting seasons kicking off for at least the three of us. We're kicking off in two weeks. Dan will be six weeks from now. Um, but over the next four months here on the podcast, I'm going to try to have 
both you guys and of course Dan and myself sharing what's going on through our journeys and whatnot. And Spencer, speaking of following along with the hunting season and what's going on, we are back this year in 2018 with the third season of Rut Radio, right? Yes, uh, September 5th is the first planned episode of season three of Rut Radio. So for those who aren't familiar, for people new to the podcast, can you give us like the 30-second cliff notes on what Rut Radio is, what they have to expect? So each week through the fall from September to January, that's what we did last year, I will talk to notable whitetail experts uh, across the country and see what they're getting for deer movement um, and hopefully bring you the most timely uh, buck intel anywhere possible. Um, you know, we will be recording these interviews with people on like Tuesday episode goes up Wednesday and, uh, you know, that day you'll be able to listen and hear what they're predicting for buck movement, what they've been seeing for buck movement. Uh, you know, we'll talk about factors like moon phases, uh, weather crop status, hunting pressure, all those different things, uh, with hopes of providing you with, uh, you know, like I said, the most timely deer intel available. Yeah, it, it has been a really well-received um, kind of new format that we added to the show. People are really finding it helpful. So like Spencer mentioned, first week in September, you're going to start getting two Wired Hunt podcasts a week. The Rut Radio will be out on Wednesday, our regular episodes on Thursday. So between those two, um, as you just said, lots of great real-time information that can help you guys, and you'll be able to follow along with the four of our hunts and seasons uh, pretty close to real time as well so spencer further appreciate you guys joining me today and that is it for us today so like i always mention if you haven't left a rating review on itunes would really appreciate that if you're not following us on instagram or facebook or twitter or youtube would appreciate that too and until next time all i want to say is thank you for following along thanks for being here and stay wired to hunt